Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 45. Jeremiah, chapter number 45. I don't know whether you ever thought about it or not, but preachers often have a difficult time trying to figure out what they ought to preach. In special days, uh, such as holidays, make it all the more difficult. Think about today, for example, this this is the time that we uh, focus on 9-11 and, and the tragedy and, and even the blessings that were born out of that tragedy. And then it's been designated as Patriot, Patriot Day and also as Grandparents Day. So we've got a lot going on on this particular Sunday. And after spending a good bit of time trying to figure out, you know, what message would be most appropriate, I, I really couldn't come up with anything that, you know, that, uh, that got Grandma and Grandpa involved in a patriotic way in, on September the 11th. I, maybe you know how to do that. I haven't figured it out. And so I just decided that I will preach today what I would have preached had there been nothing special happening on this day. The good thing about that is that the message this morning is appropriate for any day because it's a subject that we have to deal with all the time. I think most of you know that I've been preaching a series of messages entitled The Devil's Dangerous Devices. The Bible tells us that we are not ignorant of His devices. In other words, God has given us certain information as to the plans and the schemes that Satan uses in order to defeat us. And so, for the past few weeks, we've been looking at those devices we've talked about three already. We talked about deception to begin with, how that Satan uses deception to accomplish his purpose. Also, he uses diversion. If he can just divert our focus from what is really important to something that is of no significance at all or no eternal value, then he has won a major victory. And then last week we spoke about the subject of doubt, one of the things that Satan uses to defeat us. I don't think it'll take you long this morning to figure out what particular device it is that we're talking about. And if you notice in chapter number 45 of Jeremiah, only five brief verses... It says, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spake unto Barak the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book in the fourth year of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord the God of Israel unto thee, O Barak, thou didst say, Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I had fainted in my sign, and I I find no rest. Thus shalt thou say unto him, The Lord saith thus, Behold, that which I have built will I break down, 
And that which I have planted, I will pluck up even the whole land. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. But thy life will I give unto thee for to pray in all places whither thou goest. It has been said that Satan announced once upon a time that he was thinking about retiring from business. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And having made that decision, he decided that he would, uh, that he would sell all of his diabolical inventions to anyone willing to pay the price. And so, on the day of the sale, the, two, the tools all were laid out and put on display. And despite the ugliness of most of them, people gathered around and they looked at the various tools that he had used. And there was malice and hatred and jealousy and sensuality and deceit and all of the other instruments that he had had used, but apart from those particular tools, there was a just a plain wedge-shaped tool of some sort. It was much worn, and the price was much, much more than any of the others. And so someone asked Satan about that tool and why it was so expensive, and he said, that's discouragement discouragement. And the person said, well, why is it priced so high? And Satan said, because it is more useful to me than any of the others. I can pry open and get inside a man's consciousness with that when I could not get near him with any of the others. And once inside, I can use him in whatever way suits me best. It is much worn because I have used it on nearly everybody, and yet few, very few, know that it belongs to me. D.L. Moody, the famous preacher in years gone by, said, I've never known God to use a discouraged man. And don't suppose for one moment that Satan doesn't know that. Satan knows that regardless of how much talent we have, if he can get us discouraged, he can defeat us. And by the way, some of the greatest men and women that have ever walked upon the face of the earth have been defeated by discouragement. We go through the Bible and we look and we see that It happened to Jacob and Moses and Joshua and Job and Daniel and Elijah. And here we see even in the case of Jeremiah and and his secretary. In other words, the cream of the crop has experienced discouragement. We could mention a lot of other examples from the Bible, but instead of that, I want you to just notice our text this morning, and our focus is on just one man. His name is Barak. He, he's the secretary to Jeremiah. And here in the midst of this message to the nations, now, don't forget this. 
Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, again and again and again, addresses the nation. And on one hand, he's telling them of the certain judgment that is to come. And on the other hand, he tells them of a day long away in another generation where God will finally fulfill all of the promises that He had made to that special nation. But, as He's addressing this one nation, God speaks to just one man. In other words, God is always concerned about individuals. I mean, who's got time to just stop And speak to one man, one discouraged man. This shows us that God cares about us as individuals. You know, we talk about the fact that God so loved the world. And indeed He does. But He loves you. And He loves me. God cares about the Individual. Here was a man that had served faithfully as Jeremiah's secretary. We look back in chapter number 32. We learned that he had been with Jeremiah during the siege of Jerusalem. This is when the prophet had been in prison. We come to chapter number 36 and we notice that he displayed great courage by reading Jeremiah's message to Israel. I mean, can you imagine that? It's one thing for Jeremiah to say it. It's another thing for this man to take the message and stand before that rebellious nation and deliver that message. Chapter number 43, we learn here that he was accused of inciting Jeremiah to speak against Israel and he's taken captive into Egypt. The events described in chapter number 36 gives us a hint as to what the problem really was. Here, now think with me. God commissioned this man to write out all of the messages that Jeremiah had preached. Now, this was from the beginning of his ministry. In other words, he is transcribing these messages, and in doing so, he becomes despondent. He developed what some people have called headline hysteria. You know what it is. It's what happens to you when after watching the news day in and day out for weeks and months on end that finally you reach the place where you've just had enough. You can't do it any longer. It might be the O.J. Simpson trial. It might be the war in Iraq. It can be a dozen other things. But after a while, you just find yourself exhausted, discouraged at all of the bad news. That's where this fellow is. Headline, hysteria. He is a sad secretary. He's had it up to here. He just is ready to quit, to, to give in. Now notice here in our text in chapter 45, in the first three verses here, we find the manner in which God is dealing with him. And notice what God does. God begins by revealing His knowledge of the situation. 
In other words, God had heard His words and God knew what was in His heart. By the way, it's the same with you and I. God knows what's going on in our life. Those moments of discouragement, maybe in the darkness of your bedroom when nobody is there, and you begin to murmur and complain and you begin to express your fears and your frustration, and God hears that complaint. And God knows every fear, and God is simply revealing to him that I know what's going on in your life. But then in chapter, or verse number four of this chapter, notice what God does. God repeats the message. Now remember, this is 22 years after Jeremiah had originally been called. In other words, God is saying in essence, I'm not going to change my message or my ministry to accommodate man. I know that it's discouraging. I know you're down and out, but the message is not going to change. You see, God's just not into this thing of compromise, is He? God's not worried about being politically correct. The pressure that, that we would be under in such a situation does not change the plan of God. And then in verse 5, we see the Lord rebuking him because he is discouraged. Now, this gets to the real root of the problem. And notice what the Lord says here in verse 5. He said, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. If we had time to go back and to read a bit of the history of this man, I think we would understand better. We discover that this man's grandfather had been the governor of Jerusalem. In other words, this man is a, is a descendant of nobility. I mean, he's up at the top rung of the social ladder. Here's a man who is a somebody. And his aspirations are great. Grandpa was a success. I want to be successful. Grandpa did some great things. I want to do some great things. And it all amounts to his selfish pursuit. That's what it's all about. The Lord saying to Barak, are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it. Now that's the story. And let's leave the story for just a little while to make this personal. Because we can look back through history and we can, we can study one story after another and we can, we can learn all of the facts about those historical events. And that's well and good, but until we make it personal, we really haven't accomplished very much. So let's make it personal. The problem is what? Well, the problem is discouragement. Who's behind all of this? Well, certainly not God. God's in the business of encouraging, not discouraging. And there are three things we learn not just from this story, but from every story pertaining to discouragement. First of all, we see the results of discouragement. They're horrible, in fact. Just look at the Bible and we think about Abraham and 
and him taking Hagar and having a child. What brought all of that about? Well, doubt was involved in it, but he was discouraged. He was discouraged because God said, you're going to have a son, and it hadn't happened yet. And because of his discouragement, he did something that he shouldn't have done. Think about Job. Here is a man who lost everything. His family, his finances, everything is gone. And he is so discouraged that he wished that he had never been born. Here's a man wanting to die because he's discouraged. I think about Moses. Here's the, the great leader, Moses. And on that one occasion there, he becomes so infuriated at the people that when they complained about wanting water, that he smote the rock twice instead of being obedient and doing what God said. And the result of that is that he lost his inheritance. Jacob put it like this. He said, all these things are against me. That bold and brave prophet Elijah, it says that he went down and sat under a juniper tree. He's quitting And even my hero of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, he resigns. Look in chapter 20 for just a moment. I mean, of all people, I would never think that Jeremiah would entertain a thought about quitting. And listen to what he says beginning in verse 7. O Lord, Thou hast deceived me. Wait a minute. This is the man of God talking about God. He says, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. And then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. I've often heard young preachers say, I've never been tempted to quit. I've never wanted to resign. Well, they just haven't lived long enough. Because you mark it down, the day and the time will come regardless of who you are or what you're doing. The time will come when things will go awry. The time will come when you will feel, even as Jeremiah, that I'm so discouraged and nobody appreciates what I do and nobody understands. The time will come that you too will feel like throwing in the towel. That's what discouragement does. And if it can happen to Jeremiah, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. It happened to the psalmist. He accused all men of being liars. Discouragement does horrible things to people. It will confuse your mind. It will rob you of your joy. It will weaken your body, stop your work, ruin your relationships, destroy your testimony. It will grieve the heart of God and delight the devil. The devil is never happier than he is when he sees a child of God so discouraged that they give up on serving God. 
the results are horrible. Secondly, we need to think about the reasons for discouragement. And there can be many. It might be physical exhaustion. Whenever I think about the ancient prophets and men like Elijah, wow. I mean, here's a man that confronted an indecisive nation and as he stood before those heathen worshipers of idols and challenged the people there on Mount Carmel and he built an altar, he butchered a bull, he prayed fire down from heaven, and then he slew 450 prophets of Baal. He ran all of the way to Jezreel. I mean, it makes me tired just thinking about that. I mean, what can stop a man like that? It seems like nothing can. But in his arsenal, Satan had a woman with the name of Jezebel. And Jezebel said, I will get him. And and that was the plan. And now we see this same brave prophet of God sitting under a juniper tree. Wishing he could die. How do you get from the champion on Mount Carmel to the depressed man under a juniper tree wanting to die? How can that happen? And you read the story and you see there's a number of things involved, but here's the one that, uh, that was at least in some way contributing to his problem. This man was physically exhausted Did you ever notice the way that God dealt with him? I mean, God could have just grabbed him by the nap of the neck and slapped him around a time or two and said, this is ridiculous. You get back out there and do your thing, you know. God didn't do that. You know what God did? God fed him something good to eat and let him sleep. Do you know sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is throw yourself down across the bed, have a good crying spell, and then sleep until you wake up? Because sometimes that's what you need. You don't need a Bible study. You don't need a prayer meeting. You just need to unwind and to rest because your physical body affects the way you think. That's true for all of us. If you think you're some sort of a super-duper saint and that you don't need rest like a natural man, you're just kidding yourself. You need it just like anyone else. So it could be physical exhaustion. It might be feelings of failure. I think everybody that loves God wants to be a success, don't you? I mean... Who wants to fail? I mean, who sets out to be the biggest failure in the county? Nobody. And here was a man that was wholeheartedly involved in the work of God, a man who wanted to do something for God, and and seemingly it's all in vain. And he's ready to give up. Feelings of failure... 
I've often said that the most miserable times of my life generally happen on Sunday afternoons. Sunday afternoon, because when I get up here on Sunday morning and it's with great expectation of God doing wonderful things, and and I think that's what we should desire. I mean, if we don't expect anything, we're surely going to get it. I mean, if what we do is done in faith, then we need to believe that God's going to bless. But we better not be guilty of creating our own unrealistic expectations. I mean, we could say, I'll tell you what, we've been praying and we're going to see a thousand saved next Sunday morning. Oh, that'd be wonderful, right? That'd be wonderful, but... We can't even get a thousand here, let alone see a thousand saved. You say, well, you're putting limitations on God. What's wrong with that? God Himself limits the things that He does. It's true that God can do anything, but God doesn't do everything. Am I making any sense? I'm saying to you that you can create these unrealistic expectations that have nothing to do with your faith in God. You just want something wonderful to happen and it doesn't happen and now you've got the mully grubs and you're ready to quit. Oh my, you set out by the age of 35. You fully expected to be able to retire and it didn't happen. And now you're all discouraged because uh, you didn't reach your goal. You know, it might be sometimes that we are too concerned with what other people think about what we're doing. I mean, that could have very well been it. I mean, you know, he, he not only didn't live up to his expectations, but it might be that he wanted to do something that would impress other people. And the day that a preacher's main interest is in impressing people, he might as well quit. It's not about impressing people, it's about obeying God. But it could be something else. It could be disappointment with others. Well, we've all been there, done that, haven't we? Here you are doing your very best to do what is right and someone else comes along and they, they just knock the props out from under you and there you are, flat on your face. Not because you did anything wrong, but because of what somebody else did. And your disappointment with them has discouraged you. It might be a lack of appreciation. I think everybody wants to be appreciated. Nobody wants to feel like they're just being used. We all do a better job when we know people appreciate it. It might be downright selfishness, and the list can go on and on. Now listen carefully, because next we're going to talk about the remedy, and it really makes no difference what the reason for the discouragement is. The remedy is always basically the same. You've heard people say, well, you just don't understand. 
You've never been where I've been. You haven't experienced what, what I've experienced. And that's true. But by the way, you haven't been where I've been. Don't, listen, don't ever judge your life or someone else's life by what's going on in your life. You sometimes might think you're the only one in the world that's got a problem, and there might be someone else got a much bigger problem than you do. So when it gets right down to it, if we're going to, if we're going to defeat the devil and keep him from using discouragement to destroy us, here's what we need to do. Number one, stop comparing yourself to others. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said that to, to not compare yourselves one to another, which he says is unwise. If you're familiar with that story, you know exactly what's going on. Those people have reached the point that they are jealous one of another. One of them had the gift of speaking in tongues, and somebody else, they wanted that gift. You know, they, they wasn't content with having the gift of healing. They wanted something else. And so here they are, bickering and squabbling amongst themselves, comparing themselves with others. You know, the only standard that really makes any difference is God's standard. And it's the same. It is exactly the same for all of us. His standard is faithfulness. If you're faithful to God, then what you do is just as important as what I do or anybody else in the church. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Secondly, we have to humble ourselves. Discouragement comes, now listen carefully. Discouragement comes when we don't get what we think we deserve. And do you notice what's going on here with Barak? The Lord said, you're seeking great things for yourself. You're much too concerned about what you get out of this. Why do we get discouraged? Why do we get bitter? Because here, we think that we deserve bigger and better and more. And all of a sudden we don't get it and we feel like that God's being unfair. God is withholding those things from us and that's just not right. And it's not until we humble ourselves and get to the place that we are willing to accept whatever God allows that we'll be able to overcome discouragement. We worry too much about what happens to us. Think about John the Baptist. If ever a man was faithful to God, it was he. And yet what happened? Well, he was beheaded. That doesn't sound like a successful ministry to me. How about you? But in God's sight, he was success because he was faithful. Thirdly, we have to comfort ourselves with the Word of God. Notice what's going on here. God is speaking to, to, to Barak concerning the problem. God's addressing it. God's not ignoring it. He's speaking to him about what's going on in his life. And the same God that spoke to this sad secretary speaks to us also today, and he speaks through his word. 
This is a tonic for our soul. There's absolutely nothing on the face of the earth that can do for you what this blessed old book can do. And you mark it down whenever you begin to neglect the Word of God. When you stop feeding on God's Word, it's going to have an adverse effect on your life. You won't be able to resist the temptation. You won't be able to overcome the trials. You will not be able to live victoriously if you're not feeding regularly on God's Word. It's just that important. That's why Job said, I have esteemed the Word of thy mouth more than my necessary food. That's as important as it could get, folks. Your body is sustained by the food, by the fuel that you put into it. And even so, our ability to deal with the disappointing things of life and to overcome discouragement depends on our attitude toward God's Word. But then there's one other thing, and that's just simply prayer. You see, when we talk about humbling ourselves, and when we talk about not comparing ourselves with others, and we talk about feeding on the Word of God, those are all things that that we can do, that we need to do. But when it comes down to prayer, we are just totally casting ourselves on the mercy of God because that is our way of acknowledging the fact that there are limitations to what you and I can do. We can do absolutely everything in our power to overcome discouragement and depression and we don't get anywhere. We read all of the books. We go to the seminars. I mean, we do everything possible because we don't want to live this way, and yet we just don't get any place. I tell you what plain, simple, heartfelt prayer will allow God to do in your life what could never be done any other way. I think about David and the wonderful example that David gave to us whenever... The Bible tells us this, that he encouraged himself in the Lord. That's the key. We don't have to live defeated lives. Are we going to be disappointed? Sure, that's going to happen. It happens to all of us. But we don't have to live a life with an attitude of discouragement Paul said we're more than conquerors in Christ. Someone said many years ago, you don't determine a man's greatness by his ability or wealth, but by what it takes to discourage him. And if he has the right kind of character, nothing will stop a man like that. And that's the attitude that you and I need. Do you realize there are folks to this very day, ten years later that are still being overcome by that act of terrorism on that day. Here's what I mean. On that day, they lost loved ones and they crawled into a shell. And regardless of how much money or how much good health or how many friends or anything else, regardless of all of the blessings of God on their life, they have not enjoyed one hour since that day. That's no way to live, folks. That's not what God wants us to do.
What they went through was absolutely horrible. It's terrible. But in spite of that tragedy, God wants us to be victorious. I think most of us, most of the time, we're guilty of praying for God to make things easier when we ought to be praying for the Lord to make us stronger. Instead of saying, Lord, you know, I'll never be happy until you do this and until you do that. So here we are praying that God will take all of these problems away. The fact of the matter is, God's so much smarter than we are. God knows that we need those problems. We don't need for them to be taken away. We just need the strength that only He can give that will enable us to live joyfully and to serve faithfully even with those very same problems. The devil said, that's discouragement. And it's expensive because I've used that more than any other tool in my workshop. And few, very few, he said, have even realized it. You mark it down, if you're living day after day discouraged, then you're being defeated. And it's not the life that God wants for you. I hope we leave here today with the attitude that regardless of how bad it gets, there's always a way for us as God's children to not just live victoriously, but to serve joyfully. Am I making any sense? I'm not talking about gritting your teeth and scotching your feet, bowing your neck and saying, I'm tough enough, I'm going to get through this. No, I'm talking about going through those difficulties and doing it with joy in your heart. Because that's, that's the way God wants us to serve Him. Have I ever felt like quitting? Absolutely. There are times, many times that I would have quit had it not been for the grace of God. But there's never a reason I have to quit. Because whatever my difficulty is, my Savior is more than able. His grace is sufficient for every need. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You for giving to us exceeding great and precious promises that even whenever we've been beaten and kicked and knocked down, seemingly totally defeated, we know that it's possible for us to to be victorious. And I just pray today if there's someone here that Satan has gotten the advantage of and when they walked into the building this morning, it was with a heavy heart and a burden on their back. And there seemed to be no answer. Help them this morning, Lord, even when they've done all they can do, to just cast themselves down at Your feet in an attitude of prayer and trust You to provide exactly what they need. For we pray in... Jesus' name. So we lift our voice in song.